Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 172 of the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson, and we've got a, a great episode here for you today. Lisa Aitken of, uh, of the PSA and PSA Squash TV is joining us. Uh, Lisa came to uh, a lot of people's attention recently uh, due to her uh, commentating on PSA Squash TV at the Katara Classic, and uh, she did a fantastic job, received rave reviews, and uh, yeah, it was great to hear her her voice on that podcast along with Joey and, uh, and PJ. She added quite a bit to it and uh, a lot of knowledge about the game and a diff- different perspective uh, about the game, and that was uh, music to the ears of a lot of us who were watching that, so uh, uh, yeah, we talked uh, Lisa and I talk about that and how that came to fruition, but more importantly, we talk about uh, her squash career, where she's uh, come from, and uh, the struggles uh, which she's had a few over the years to get back to where she is now playing the game at a level where she's ma- really making some inroads and going to make a great uh, push uh, going forward to reach uh, the top of her game. Uh, she's looking, to, I mean, she's already in the top 40 in the world, I believe, and she's looking to, to go even further than that. Uh, she's had wins over a fair number of girls in the top 20 already recently. So, uh, you know, bodes well for her. So Lisa Aitken on the podcast, a great story, great backstory and great future. So we're looking forward to, uh, I mean, I'm looking, I really looked forward to uh, speaking with her and uh, really enjoyed the chat. And uh, also, uh, before we get into that, though, in episode 122, I would be remiss if I did not give a shout out to our huge uh, sponsor, Active Scout. Uh, they're out there right now doing what they can in an effort to grow the game, grow the game at your club, within the squash community, amongst the members, and uh, if you want to learn more about Active Scout and the app uh, Active Scout, uh, go to ActiveScout.com, that's A-C-T-I-V Scout.com, and uh, visit their website and check out what they have to offer in terms of growing the game, and also uh, download the app, uh, you can try to download their app and see if uh, see what it's all about there it's a great app in terms of uh, growing the community growing your squash uh, keeping membership uh, uh, where it is and growing uh, at this point right now as you know it's a struggle for many clubs so active scout is a way to help uh, deal with that visit the website active scout a-c-t-i-v without the e scout.com and check that out and now episode 172 really enjoyed this chat great chat with the psa squash tv and psa pro lisa aiken winter is coming yeah perfect yeah it, it gets dark here uh, I, I went out and uh, did some grocery shopping earlier and it was about six and it, and it was dark so uh yeah yeah, so yeah, it's uh it's winter, I guess uh it's that time of year, you know. Yeah, yeah. So okay. you're you're in Dubai? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So it used to be a bit of a squash uh hotbed for a few years there back in the I guess when I first came around 2007, there was a lot of squash, but uh yeah, things haven't been so so hot here uh lately, but uh still playing quite a bit. But you're you're based out of uh, Scotland, right? Or Yeah, so I live in Edinburgh. Um I yeah, Scottish Squash is based in Edinburgh. I live in Edinburgh, I go to uni in Edinburgh. Um it's not home, home's further up north near Aberdeen. Okay. But um Edinburgh's been my home for a while now. 
Brilliant. Well, firstly, first, I just want to say uh, thanks uh, a lot for agreeing to do this. And uh, there's a lot to talk about. I think, firstly, I mean, what an amazing uh, job you did on your your debut there on uh, PSA Squash uh, TV. It was fantastic. Uh, uh, <laughs> first, I you know, for, I'm pretty good with uh, with accents and UK accents. I even have the I think I have counties down in, in terms of. Uh, oh wow, that's yeah, decent. Yeah, but I, I mean, I can kind of distinguish between a few of them. But uh, but uh, initially, I thought it was uh, Ashling there at the beginning. Uh, okay. <laughs> and then, uh, With the Irish. Uh, and I figured it. No, no, that's not Irish. That's uh, that's Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think it. I think it took a few people. Um, well, one probably by surprise, and then. A few, a few, um, a few moments to work out where that voice was coming from. Which face was that voice coming from? Yeah. Well, you did a fantastic job, and we'll we'll get into that in a, in a few minutes. But uh, first, I just want to congratulate you and uh, your your countrymen on the qualifying for the European Championships. <laughs> yeah, I know. Amazing. Did you watch the game? No, uh, I saw the result. I saw a couple of my friends. Uh, posted the result and you you had it up there on your your twitter yeah yeah so so it went to penalty shootouts which um was very nerve-wracking but they were they are known to be quite good in those situations and um certainly yes well last night that was the case it was it was tense so there was a lot on the line obviously um and then emotions were flying high the the post-match interviews with the players the captain the goalkeeper scored saved the penalty it was all it was all floods of tears and everything. So, yeah, 20, 22 years since I've been in the, like a major event, major tournament. So, and were you watching it, uh, with friends uh, last night? Were you? It must have been. Yeah, yeah, I was. Which which was nice. A fellow fellow Scotswoman. Um, she she's also a professional footballer. So right. Um, and she's uh, the captain Ra- of the women's girlfriend, uh, team. Rachel, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So. So that was I was in the, I was in good company and it was nice to kind of share that moment with her. Right on, yeah, she must have been uh, proud of her uh, her fellow footballers. Yeah, like we were just saying, you know, we're we're the same age and we've grown up just going through it, through it all. You know, getting to getting so close with Scotland and then just having you know not great results and never quite getting there. But the women's team, they're 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 much better. They were at the World Cup. They're they're always in the in the Euros. So. Um, to to see like the the men, um, finally be able to get over that hurdle after so many years was was good. That's awesome. Well, great. Well, congratulations on on that. that that's great. And, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. So so let's let's just talk about your you know your your uh, your debut and squash uh, PSA squash TV. The the reviews were uh, were you got rave reviews I think. And uh, I think not, I mean uh, obviously it's it's great to have a bit of a dynamic between uh, you know we all know PJ and uh, Joey and and uh, and they're great at what they do but it's also great to have uh, another voice in there and you you definitely provided a very good one uh, there so how how did that uh, firstly how did it all come about uh, for you to to uh, to take uh, I mean I know you played in Egypt uh, there in the, the event prior to that so perhaps uh, just thinking may, maybe it, it surfaced uh, at that point uh, but no how, great how did question it all come out? yeah <laughs> great question I really would love to know myself how it all came about it, okay. it happened quite very fast um, like you said I was in Egypt and I got back in like a few days later 
um, PSA had gotten in touch just to ask if I fancied the opportunity to go to Qatar and commentate for Squash TV. And originally when I got the message, I was like, well, absolutely not. I'll be terrible at that. That's way out of my comfort zone. Um, Then I'm like, why me? Has this message been sent to the wrong person? You know, everything was kind of going through my head as to how or why and, you know, how has this come about? And then I thought, you know, we don't have anything at the minute. We didn't have anything else in the calendar uh, tournament wise for the rest of the year. And given my initial response of the fear that came over me in, in taking on that task, I thought, well, let's grab hold of that and, and relish it and, and go out of your comfort zone and do something different. Why not? Mm. Um, what a great opportunity. I know I, I am a squash purist. I, I'm a fan. Why would I say no to sitting live in, a, in an event like that and watching yeah. squash all week, commentating aside? Um, so yeah, I just, in all honesty, I don't know how it came about, but I, I took the opportunity, um, by the horns and and gave it a real good go. It happened all so fast and, you know, I've never done anything like that before and I'm quite introverted and I think doing something like that was going to be a real, real test for me. Mm. Um, well, obviously um, someone someone knew that you, you obviously have a, a knowledge of the game and the ability to express yourself and, and to watch a game of squash and be able to communicate what you see and, and so the nuances to, to people who, uh, who enjoy what, like myself, who watch the game and you did a great job of that. So obviously the, the people at squash TV or someone must've tipped them off and said, Oh yeah, yeah. She's, she's the one we need. Someone must have tipped them off. I think the accent definitely helps. Uh, squash knowledge wise and everything else that you mentioned I'm unsure of where they would have got that from but um, yeah you know I, I, I'm not sure but I took I took the opportunity and, and I gave it a go so I enjoyed it it was great actually Ooh, whoa, you know, what, got, a, what a great really event too it. what a fantastic I mean it was a yeah, fantastic was- tournament there was so a lot of intrigue uh, there uh, and I thought one, I mean obviously the, one of the first things that things that comes to mind is uh Yusuf uh, Ibrahim and uh, you had a nice little sit down uh chat with him but uh, I mean firstly his match with uh, Mohammed was unbelievable and the way it played out and and uh sometimes I think you see on Facebook or in social media the Sherbaggies get a bad rap I think for you know there's some they think they're a bit rough around the edges in terms of their the behavior on the corporate. I mean, Mohammed couldn't have been more classy uh, in the way that he handled that loss. And then uh, just the match itself and the follow-up match as well against Ferris uh, was fantastic between him and Yusuf. So uh, what did you think of uh, Yusuf? And uh, you had a nice sit down with him there. Uh, yeah. How, how did, uh, how, what was your, what were your impressions of him? Well, so initially, um, Yusuf is new in these big events. He's still at college in America. And, you know, if you look at his track record and his college results, it's not particularly great. Mm. Um, so to then come from that to beating Mohammed El Shabagi in, in, in Qatar is like, wow, you, we know he's talented. We have seen his name. We have seen his previous results. We know what he is capable of, but we don't really know too much about him. He's young. He's 21. So the match against Mohammed, um, 
I watched him in Egypt play Declan James. I was on court afterwards playing a match. I was kind of warming up and I thought this firstly is left-handedness took my eye. And yeah. I was like, yes, another lefty. Um, this guy looks really exciting to watch. You know, he's got kind of a hybrid um, of a few different players put together. Yeah, he's, you know, and, he's, and great, great yeah. players. Yeah. yeah, really, really unorthodox, quirky, really fun to watch. You never know what's coming. At the, the, the changes in his swing happen at the last minute. You don't, and he's obviously very skillful and a great shot maker. So all of those things combined make, make for him very exciting to watch. And the, the match with, Shirbagi, he just looked so fearless. And when you have somebody as skillful as that combined with being fearless, what they're capable of in that moment is like we saw. Um, he was able to overcome Mohammed, which was phenomenal. And not only that, then back it up the next day. Eventually, he had a slow start against um, Faraz Zuki, but he eventually found his way into that match and put up such a fight as well and, and was unlucky in the fifth with a couple of decisions and, and dodgy bounces that kind of took the momentum away from him at the end of the match but he's he's a really interesting guy you know we spoke a lot off camera um after that and just hearing how he or which kind of period he's in with his learning and his development about him not only about his squash but about himself you know, he's kind of just finding out what he likes, what he doesn't like, which coach he likes, which what he doesn't. And he, he, you know, I can relate back to those periods of myself of being a player. And it's all just really exciting for him. His, his potential is is endless. And um, yeah, he he he's going to be one to watch for for a, a long period of time. And and that's just really exciting. The the one thing that interested me most was he started squash as a right-handed player oh, wow. and he his dad would take him down the club and he'd be going on court he'd be solo practicing as a young kid with his right hand and then he would go on for his lessons with his coach and his coach was like no we're using you're using your left hand you're going to be a left-handed player and he hated it he fe it felt weird it was so against his natural flow of throwing a ball catching a ball you know everything yeah. again was against being being a lefty and his lessons would finish with his coach and he'd go back on court and solo practice and he would just switch hands back to his right hand. So he was playing squash as a kid um, so much with his right hand, but only having lessons with his coach with his left hand or other way around, whatever I said, which yeah. is unbelievable, you know. Yeah, um, I've never heard of that. And then eventually, yeah, eventually his dad was like, look, your coach wants you to be left-handed. You're not going on court unless you're going to use your left hand. So... I think that's probably why we can see some like quirkiness to swing because he naturally doesn't want to use that that hand. Obviously, he's very natural as a squash player now after all these years of kind of having that ingrained. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just that was yeah, one I thing. I was imagine, like, like, wow, yeah. like he's probably uh, you know not not wanting to play left-handed uh, has picked up these quirky movements and uh, things that he does with his racket that have now become sort of natural for him but to what uh, to, yeah. to us it looks quirky but for him it's you know perfect uh maybe now yeah 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 absolutely he's you know he's obviously refined that so much and he's just an, he's just very exciting to watch and he's he was a lovely guy off court and i think if he mm -hmm. can he can obviously keep up the work that he's doing with his coaches and i, I guess student life is is working out for him then i'm very excited to watch him in the future 
Absolutely. And then uh, also in that event, we had the uh, the strange, uh, the semifinal with uh, with Paul Cole and Ferris. And I'm not sure what happened there. But I mean, just every time I watch Ferris play, I just think this guy could be like he, he could be number one. I mean, he's just that he has his, the movement, the strength, the shot making, the everything. He has his speed. He's got everything. But uh I'm not sure if he was injured. It didn't, he did again. He, he twisted his ankle or something there at the end of the third game, but he had already given up uh, 18 yeah. straight points or something <laughs> prior to that. Yeah. What's your take, I guess, um, having seen that and been there for that. I know he apologized. He came out on uh, Twitter and, and, and apologized for, for that. And it, it's not really, I, I don't think it's the first time something like that's happened either, but. Yeah, I have, uh, obviously I have my own personal views on that situation, which, you know, that the first game was incredible between Paul yeah. and Fares, the quality of squash, the pressure that they were putting each under each other under the accuracy. It was great to watch. It was very entertaining. It was very high level. And it was good and it was tough. And obviously coming into the the second game. Um, so, sorry, Lisa, they're, they're, at the end, correct me if I'm wrong, I might be getting my matches mixed up, but it, it seemed to me, uh, I'm not sure if it was that match, but it seemed to me there were a few really bad sort of calls that went against Ferris at the, in that game. Like total, like really bad calls that went against him. Yeah. Uh, and pro and I mean we've both been there. I, I mean not, you've been there more than I have, but I mean it can be very very discouraging to get one or two or three in a row on the trot like that, and then lose the game. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. And that, but that's part of the sport. You yeah. can't control the referee. You can't control their decisions. And what you get given, it's it's up to you how you're gonna move forward from that decision from the referee. So you get given a, a, a decision, whether you like it or whether you're not, what are you going to do next? that's going to help you win that next point. And yeah, in that first game, there were a few decisions that maybe didn't go his way, um, which can be frustrating when you're putting in a lot of hard work and you're trying to, you, you know, you're, you're putting a lot of pressure on your opponent. You're moving really well. It's, it's hard. Like I said, the rallies were incredible to then not get the reward that you maybe feel is justified is hard, but that's the sport. And that really in those moments is part of what separates the best from the very best, how they're interpreting those situations and how they're then moving forward from it. So yeah, the first game was, was the way it was. There was a few decisions in the second game he's come out all credit to Paul. He's played again, some really good squash in the first few you know, it's great squash. It's good quality. He's hitting his targets. He's putting Fares under a lot of pressure. A few rallies in, another decision. He didn't quite like it. And the accumulation, it personally, I think the accumulation of pressure from Paul and his already wavering mindset of the referees against me was then just to spiral into eventually sacking it all off. In, in my personal opinion, he was, you know, you can see Paul serving and he's deliberately looking the other way before he hits the ball. Now, as fans, that's not what we want to see as a player. It's, I, you know, if you can imagine Yusuf Abraham watching that in his room or the, someone who's injured that can't get to that event or someone ranked a little bit lower that's at home having to watch this, you might be thinking, come on, man, like I want to, you need to try here. Like, 
But then also, you know, he's obviously not wanting to try. That's just the mindset that he's in, whether that's he's just not fancying it or he's, I don't know, he's mentally yeah. not quite strong enough to cope with those situations. And then that just spiraled into the third game. And then, yeah, perhaps he did roll his ankle. I'm not sure, but it was, yeah, I think it was, it was eight, all over yeah, before yeah, then anyway. His ankle. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, I think the, the interesting thing from that was, you know, we see Fares, we see his capabilities. We all, I think, know that he could be top five. He has everything that is needed to be a top five player. But from a mental aspect, that's where what has let him down in the past. He can be either on fire or he can be, he can capitulate. And that is what's going to be the determining factor as to whether he does break into that top five or not. Um, so he's got to take a good look in the mirror, doesn't he? After that, I mean, uh, he had if he had stuck in there. I mean, Paul was playing great squash, he was playing great squash, and just see, you know, he had yeah. to see, uh, yeah, let his game do the talking, he, and he didn't. So, yeah, and then you know, in the in the match before he came through against Yusuf in five, and he in his post match interview was saying, you know, there's a lot, I get a lot of criticism out there about not being mentally strong. Um, so I'm pleased that I could come through this performance in five and show just how mentally strong I, I am. To then <laughs> follow up yeah. that statement with that performance, we're all a bit like, well... Not so, quite, yeah. yeah, so I don't know. I mean, that's my personal take on it, but I'm sure everybody has has their own bit. Yeah, definitely. And then then uh, to, tap, to top it all off, uh, Ali Farag, I think he just played unbelievably well throughout there was the one match where it, it was kind of the squash uh, uh, you guys were also mentioned it that wasn't the greatest so i think it was against uh diego yeah yeah diego but uh, i mean two talent two man it was a great match i loved i loved watching it but uh, i just thought from start to finish with the exception of that match uh he was in you know one of the best it's the best i've really seen him play in a long time yeah, I think um, there was pressure alleviated from him with the Sherbagis exiting early. Mm. And with Mohammed coming into that, wanting to get the number one spot back, and Marwan obviously being in form, winning the tour finals and playing really well recently, there, you know, there was some, it was not going to be an easy test for Ali to win that. And he's the bogey, actually, Ali, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I actually didn't think Ali's squash was the best throughout the tournament until the final mm. um he looked struggling a, a bit whether physically mentally i think a combination of both and i actually felt from paul's first match that paul was going to win the event i made an early call that mm. paul was going to win which was huge because why would i say that when he's only made one final before and he has n- no big titles so Going into the final, yeah, it was really great to see Ali raise his level and, you know, he was incredible. He anticipated so well, he moved so effortlessly, his shot quality is so high. But, you know, bigger picture, he's just so consistent. I don't think he's missed a semi-final in a major tournament in God knows how many events. And he's made like 14 out of how many finals recently it's just, like his consistency is just a joke yeah. um so yeah he he really is the one to beat at the minute yeah absolutely 
Absolutely. Well, that, that was a good, uh, great experience for you. Good for good first, uh, uh, PSA squash TV, uh, experience for you. Do you have, is, is that going to be something, uh, on your plate down going down the road? I hope so. I hope for, I think everybody, uh, would love to see you back. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I, in all honesty, have no idea right. whether there's going to be any more commentating come my way. Um, First, we need like more squash, ever- right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, like anything that I seem to do, I like to try and perfect it or master it as best as I can. So I've already been listening back to the matches that I commentated on and I've tried to... Um, you know, write down the things I liked or and then, you know, remember the things I didn't like if I'm to ever get asked to do this again. So, yeah, hopefully I, I'd, I'd welcome another experience. I guess the, the next event is uh, in Egypt again, thanks to CIB. Uh, those guys are amazing, <laughs> uh, just supporting squash uh, every everywhere. Um, are you going to be playing in uh, I think there, the, there's a women's and men's event. Will, will you be uh, playing in that one, do you think, if, if it comes, comes off? Yeah, I certainly have entered. Um, I'm currently third on the reserve list at the minute, so okay. um, it closes next week. So I will keep my fingers crossed that a few people pull out and I can get into that. Right on. Okay. Well, we'll talk. Uh, uh, that brings us to to what I'd like to talk to you about as well as your your squash career. Um, uh, you, I mean, uh, you were pretty hard on yourself in a re- uh, recently, uh, saying that you had a really bad uh, last season leading up to the COVID. But let, let's uh, let's go back a bit further, if you don't mind. Um, I guess between 2011 and 2014, you started making pretty decent inroads in terms, you know, winning winning matches, getting to getting close to finals. And then you uh, suffered from a Denki uh, fever uh, there, which, uh, man, that must have been scary. And it took you out of the game for, for two years. So get, if you don't mind, give us a little bit of the backstory about what happened there and how, how that uh, affected you uh, uh, during that time and for two years taking you away from the game. Yeah, I think actually the – Last tournament to the tournament I eventually made my return was just shy of three years. Mm. Um, yeah, that was that was a real fun time. Mm. <laughs> I got dengue fever in Malaysia at a tournament, and that came with pretty horrific side effects. I'm sure if you Google, there'll be some mm. some nice sites there. But in all honesty, that kind of was only a period of about two three weeks that that stayed in my system where I suffered with that from I flew back from Malaysia I was living in England at the time um I had just put in a really hard summer it was the first tournament back after the summer break and I was feeling really good the season before I'd made some good inroads I'd gotten my highest ranking I'd beaten a couple of top 20 players and was in a good place and um that happened and and during the dengue fever my immune system dropped so low that it triggered an autoimmune disease Mm. um that had been lying dormant for all those years and it was that really that kept me out of the game for so long it was kind of like a um kind of like a chronic fatigue type thing so it, it just basically left me pretty uh debilitated for a long period of time and and that meant that I had to move back up to Scotland with my parents, sell the house, sell the car, 
obviously no um, real answers about how long this was going to stick around for, how long I was going to be out of the game or whether I would ever really recover and feel good with these, with these things. It's not like there's a, you get a dose of antibiotics and there's a timeline and you know, when you're going to feel good again, it's just a sit around and wait. So um, I, I had like a bad 18, no, I had like a bad 12 months where I couldn't really do much. Uh, mm. Couldn't really leave the house. My parents were doing most things for me. Uh, could maybe go out on a walk what some days and some days I couldn't. It was just really unknown. After that, I started to feel a bit better. And I'd say like my energy levels picked up a lot. And I was thinking, great, maybe I'll get back to the game sooner than like sooner than I think. So I well, I say sooner than I think. It had been about a year at this point. I thought I was never going to return. Um, and then... Yeah, I slowly but surely got back to good health, good fitness and got carried away and did far too much too soon and set myself back another six months. So it kind of re reactivated the the autoimmune disease. So um, that, that was probably another six months. And then I just made sure I took things super slow from there. So I started to feel good and I just didn't push it. It was a very, very slow process to getting back to like anything on court, to be honest. Um I just I just couldn't afford time to go by again where I was back bed bound. So I just made sure that I was diligent with everything I was doing and, so and was strict with this. diet and uh, things like that. Uh, yeah, just paying more attention. Like I've always been quite good with with things like that, um, yeah. but just being super thorough and diligent with everything. You know, reading up a lot on sleep, nutrition, and mm. um, whatever I could, trying whatever I could. So and then yeah, eventually I got back to 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 playing squash, and I deliberately picked uh, Malaysia as my first tournament to go back to and play because that's where it all ended, and I wow. developed a lot of anxiety around traveling. Yeah. Um, because basically, if I traveled anywhere, I wanted to know that there was a hospital close by, so that if anything happened, I could go straight to hospital. So leaving the country became this massive big deal. And so I thought, well, if I can go to Malaysia and play a tournament and get through that, then I can go anywhere. Right. Um, so, yeah, I went to Malaysia, played my first one back, lost in the semi-final to the winner. And, yeah, started started on the tour back again. And, and not too long after that, won my first PSA title. Yeah, that's right. So you, you, you returned, you did well in your first event, and then you won your first PSA title. So, how, how much, I mean, that first title, I think, was in um, New Zealand, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right, yeah. So, so how, how did that feel? I mean, have who were you working with uh, the Scottish, was it Paul Bell at that point as well, or the Scottish national team? Or uh, So Kylie Lindsay is a Kiwi and she's an ex-player and yeah. she is now the assistant national coach in Scotland. And I was working with her at the time and well, I've worked with her for most of my, most of my career. And, I chose to go to New Zealand to do like my last six months of training before I went back on tour to, to be with her and really, you know, pay attention to the small details. And so I'd spent six months in, in New Zealand before going to Malaysia and starting on the tour properly. So to then go to New Zealand and win my first title was, was quite nice because I, it was kind of like I've been quite a lot to New Zealand and it's kind of like a second home to me. So the fact that I was able to do that there and also have Kylie there as well um, was really was really great. But um, I, you know, 
for forever since I started squash professionally it's like I want to win a title I you know how, how great must that feel like get get the win and when I won I was like oh is that it you know I'd won the final I'd got my first title I remember calling my mum and dad was like the first thing I did when I got off the court and I was so buzzing and then they were emotional it was great we'd kind of come full circle with this health issues and I'd gotten back on here we are we're winning and then I hung up and I was like right so when's the next tournament then because that's over and you know we all have like I had that in my head there was this big thing about winning a title and then it happened and it's like well it's actually not all it's all it's got out to be yeah. and I was just straight away thinking well when's the next one you hear uh, who was well the most famous uh, instance of that happening is the uh, the the heavyweight boxer there Tyson Fury because uh, he he won the heavyweight title and then he went through two or three years of this massive depression where he almost you know he t- almost took his own life after he had reached the highest the, his dream so I, I mean I, I can't uh, I, um, obviously it's a different thing but I mean it, it's kind of similar you you get to this point where you you get to something that you've always dreamed of and then it doesn't what do you do next right is that yeah I think I built up I built it up to be more than it is in my head winning a title um you know having to win a title meant that you were then established on the tour you were then that gave you confirmation that you were a good player was how I'd built it up in my head yeah which now I realize is completely not the case at all and having <laughs> that mindset actually completely inhibited me from performing in, in any yes yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah. Well, I mean, uh, well, you've uh, you've won six now, though, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah. Just recently, uh, it doesn't change. <laughs> no. Well, six is good, and uh, you know, uh, most recently in Delaware, I think it was the Delaware Open, uh, twenty nineteen. Uh, you beat uh, uh, Liao Chi Ling. Uh, Ling. Yeah, in the final, and also yeah. my uh, compatriot, uh, friend of this this podcast, Sam Cornett. Uh, she's been on the podcast a couple times. Uh, in and both both of them at the time, you were ranked uh, below them. Uh, so I mean, good wins for you to to win that event. So uh, how how was that win in Delaware? Yeah, good. It was good. It was um, off the back of a good performance in TOC. Um, I was a reserve in TOC right up until the day before. And okay. someone pulled out and I got called up. So I flew to New York. I'd had about, uh, I don't know, like four hours sleep. And then I was due to didn't have to do a COVID test back then either. So no, no, no. <laughs> I could, yeah, I could, I could, I could enter pull that off to these days. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I, yeah, I arrived in, in New York and I had like four hours sleep and I was due to play Nada Abbas, who obviously was ranked higher than me and played really well. And, and, managed to win that match and took that momentum into into Delaware it was the following week and um yeah I was seated four I think maybe in that that tournament obviously Sam was Sam was number one and had been having really great results so yeah it just worked everything just worked for me that week I felt I had a nice billet the club was lovely the tournament was very well organized all these things really do help and I just felt happy and when I feel happy, I play, I play well. And, and, and I think, you know, that's so important. That tournament was 
coming up to two years ago now. Wow, it's about time I was winning another tournament. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you've won six, and uh, then I think it, I think it was uh, just recently you said that last the just prior to the COVID thing, uh, you were not not you were not happy with your squash, um, and then you came back after COVID and you had a really good. Uh, tournament there in in Egypt. I mean, you beat Nada again, uh, and then you stretched uh, Joshna Chinapa. Uh, I think it was four games, but very close. So, uh, what what happened? Do you think prior to to COVID, there did maybe may, maybe your expectations a bit high, and you were playing better players at uh, at the time, or was it something else? Um, yeah, I I think it was a combination of a few things. To be honest, I fundamentally wasn't. I, I went the whole season without, I think I won one match the whole season. And, and so when I say it was the worst season to date and I didn't enjoy it, it's not an exaggeration. It was bad, but I, a few things contributed to that one for sure. I started university and uh, yeah. the week one of university was also week one of the new season. And here I was in Egypt playing my first event, missing the first two weeks of, of uni and for someone who's been out of education for 12 years, um, <laughs> mature that, student that one again, was right? a very mature student. <laughs> yes, correct. Um, that shock of going back into that environment um, was, was bigger than I thought. The impact that it had on me was a lot bigger than, it thought, than I thought. Um, I have alluded to this before, but I'm a bit of a perfectionist. If I'm doing something, I like to do it well and make sure I'm doing everything I can to do it well so all of a sudden my my mentality had switched to becoming the best squash player in the world to becoming the best squash player in the world and the best uni student in the world so ah. here I am trying to stretch myself really thinly um, and do two really amazing jobs at the same time which um, really just set me up for for a bit of a a bit of an emotional fall, really. Um, I missed a lot of uni, which I knew due to tournaments and traveling. And I was finding it really tough to keep up and and just juggle the two, basically. I was finding it hard to juggle the two and it took its toll. I was tired, I was unhappy. And mm. fundamentally that led to not enjoying my time on court or not really enjoying time away out of the country because I felt like I was falling behind at uni. So it was a vicious cycle and that that led to to yeah some some bad performances but generally just because my mindset was a bit skewed you know I think yeah. it was a real good learning curve for me because I've now in second year I've adjusted those goalposts you know I, I don't need to be the best uni student in the world I don't need to be top of the class I just need to pass um, but what I do need to be is the best squash player in the world. And so I can put all of my eggs in those baskets still and be okay with just getting by at uni because squash right now is the priority. I'm never going to get this back. I'm never going to get the time, this the, the youth in my body and mindset back. But uni will always be there kind of thing. So though the mindset's been changed a lot. And um, yeah, I'm. It's it's much better now, and I think that that was was really the the underlying reason as to why I didn't enjoy last season. Yeah, uh, and then in, in as I mentioned there in Egypt, you you had 
upon you know the return of squash uh, post uh, lockdown i guess still we're in lockdown especially where where you guys are uh, over there in the uk unfortunately it's locked down but um uh, you played re- extremely well. Uh, what do you attribute that to? I guess just uh, you know the the passion and the the you know the the, the fun of getting back on on court was that part of it? And then uh, obviously a win over Anetta on her home soil that that's a big one, and she's uh, top twenty in the world. So yeah, I think you're absolutely absolutely right. You know, uh, we spent so long off tour competing. And when you don't have something for so long, you realize how much it means to you or how much you enjoy it. And I hadn't been back on court too long before the first the first event, Manchester. I actually played quite well there against um, Sarah Jane Perry. And mm. nothing to do with... Sarah Jane, she's a friend to, of the podcast as well. She, she's she been on she three, is, three times, yeah. yeah. I was with her today. Love, she love Sarah Jane. Yeah, can't, can't get rid of her. um yeah so I played well there and I think you know we had a lot of time to reflect to get perspective and to work out what we want to do why we're doing it what we love what we don't love and fundamentally I was just so grateful to be back on court still am and I hope that I will do my hardest to make sure that I never lose that perspective of gratitude to be able to do what we do um travel the world, play squash, you know, wins and losses aside, it really is quite a a privilege. And when you are able to stay in the moment with that mindset, it helps you be free of everything else. And you can just concentrate on playing and enjoying playing. So I must say, and I hope that it continues, that I am in a place where I'm just really grateful for what I can do and I'm really enjoying it. But the one, th- the, you know, the thing about squash for me is just like, it's this ever evolving learning process. You're always, as you're getting older, uh, you're also changing and you're learning more about yourself and how you're changing. And also the sport changes. And even if you're number one in the world, there's always things you can work on. So I just really love that whole process of every day is a school day. You're learning something new every single day. And you're developing yourself and your profession every single day. And that's never going to end. So I'm going to really, I think I'm going to really struggle retiring because the learning process is, is something that I really, really you're thrive still, on. You're, you're still young, right? You're, you're only, you're not yet 30, I don't think, are you? We'll pretend I'm not, but I definitely am 30, unfortunately. Okay. I gotta do my, <laughs> my mental math is not very good. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm recently 30. But, okay, yeah, okay. I had, well, okay, I didn't know that. I, you're, I knew you were 29, I thought. Okay. Well, I'll just stay 29. I'm, I'm happy with that. Those but are good years. I had, yeah, like I had the time off, and I think that's helped longevity. You know, three years away from competitive, professional, hardcore athlete is, is you know, I think it's saved in the bank. So I'm hoping that I can have a long career. Mm. But, uh, I mean winning i mean doing that well at, at the cib and then you know having the good results against as you mentioned sarah jane and uh, other top players winning in delaware having also lost matches that obviously you feel that you should never have lost um it, it seems to me like you you've probably in the you know you probably feel that you you could play you you could reach top 20 top 10 if you if you uh 
you know, things go your way and you put the work in. Is that, is that kind of uh, what the, your goal is? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I've, I've realized that over, you know, recently, certainly with getting some, some wins in the top 20, it's, I mean, I wouldn't still be doing it if I didn't truly have that belief that I was capable of it. Um, I didn't always have that belief. If I'm honest, it was something that would, I would have loved to have achieved top 10, like who, who top 10, top 20, like there's incredible players there to, to be able to, to be in that mix is something that you're like, yeah, wow, I'll, I will give anything for that. And often in the past, you know, I, I've been asked that question. Do you believe that you're, you're capable of doing that? Do you think you can get there? And absolutely, of course, is the answer. Like, definitely. Like, what what kind of athlete would say no? Mm. If I'm honest, I never truly believed it. It was a bit of a bluff. I was just bluffing. Um, but but now I would say that over the last couple of years, that's certainly something that I do truly believe in. And it is my motivation every single day to wake up and keep keep heading in that direction. Well, uh, let's, you know, we've got some events coming up. And uh, Lisa, I hope it goes your way uh, in Egypt. And uh, you're, I guess you're training with, with Paul and uh, Lindsay right now. Is, uh, so I'm in England just now. In England. Um, yeah, so I'm doing a bit of training with some of the professionals down here. Um, I will probably remain doing that until my uni goes back on campus. Everything's online right now. So it's allowing me to, to be around other top top professionals so that's really great I'm making the most of that but that'll come to an end at some point I'm sure and I'll return back to Scotland um back to uni life and Edinburgh life right on right on well uh just a couple more things I I, I know it's Scottish uh the the Scottish squash they 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 do a lot of uh great write-ups on their on their website and they had one uh about you recently it was about your your um, you wanted to talk about racism it was that right sort of after the george floyd incident and uh, unfortunately his quote-unquote death there uh in the summer and um you you wanted to talk about racism and things sort of the way you've you've seen things i mean you've traveled quite a bit through squash and seen seen a lot that way and you're your experiences. So uh, what brought you to firstly uh, sort of bring that, you want to bring that to light yourself? Yeah, I think it was just, you know, during that whole, yeah, like you said, that the Black Lives Matter thing is, is something that's just so serious in society and should be spoken about. And having been in America a lot, it's so you know, it kind of stares you in the face a lot, particularly in America. And I just, you know, I just want to do my bit, really, and trying to better that situation. And when it all came to life, I kind of thought, do you know what? I can retweet things on Twitter. I can put things up on social media. But what am I really doing? Or what do I really know about it? And I think I took on the responsibility myself in that moment to better my education and understanding what the, what the issues are, how, how people are suffering and what can I do to make an impact um, personally, which, you know, as one person, it's not, it's not a great deal, 
but hopefully by furthering my education and spreading the word then I turn into two people three people four people and collectively there can be there can be something that's a bit more proactive so it really was just that and then thinking you know about my own black friends it kind of hit me a bit thinking of my own black friends and how that must affect them even if they haven't been uh, subject to racism before they could be and how does that make them feel and why should they have to go through that um rather than me um and i you know i just i just i just wanted to take on the responsibility to further my knowledge really right. and um yeah and raise raise the awareness where i could from that yeah you mentioned uh, as well just in terms of squash like for example uh for one thing, uh, on the PSA tour, um, uh, there have—I mean, there are a couple of uh, just a few uh, black players playing on on the tour, uh, but they've, I think, uh, haven't experienced uh, much racism that that we, you know, that that we know of, or you know, no one's ever spoken to that. But uh, so the PSA is obviously. Uh, aware aware of this kind of thing. So what what have your experiences? with those players on tour, have they spoken to you about anything like that uh, with regard to, to this issue? To be honest, no. Um, and you you said something there that's really interesting and, and kind of hits, hits me hard. And that is that there's a couple of black players on the PSA World Tour. Yeah. Um, but there is X amount of members of the PSA World Tour. So why are there only a couple of black players yeah and that's something that I would like to explore further um there's obviously something in society that is stopping black players coming through to professional level or you know where where does where does it fit in the in the in society that they don't get it at grassroots or they do but then they can't further develop it or is it just not an option to them you know is is squash seen as this elitist sport that is for white people um and yeah that's just something that i think needs to change and i would like to do my bit in scotland um you know you've got urban squash mm. in i think they're doing in, in the u.s they uh, especially you know in new york and yeah. philadelphia uh, they've got things and there's one in chicago as well chicago. and it, yeah it's just yeah. incredible but and, like you said, though, uh, I mean, there's another sport that's sort of similar to squash on a much larger scale, though. Uh, I think you can draw some comparisons. Obviously, it's golf. Uh, I mean, you, yeah. you, you know, there are a handful of, I mean, there are a lot of people playing that sport and not, you know, similar to squash in that way. And I think, it, you know, the, what comes to mind is the same thing. It, it's sort of an some people feel it's an elitist sport maybe uh, and, and it's not as accessible. Uh, uh, yeah. And also, you know, like um, with, for example, with black kids, they will grow up looking at their, their idols and those idols will be where they're successful in their sports. So for example, uh, athletics, basketball, you know, they're stars. There's, there's black stars in those sports and for kids growing up that's what they're going to want to they're going to go down that route because it's it looks like it's possible 
if they look at squash and they don't see anyone black in the top 20, they're going to think, well, that must not be for me. I might be wrong, but that, that where is the inspiration or where's the encouragement um, to, to take on that sport? So I want to, I want to know where does it, where does it start? You know, like, like you said, it's happening in America that they're making these programs so that it is accessible for everyone. And for me, that's really important. And I would like to explore that in Scotland, make the sport accessible to everyone, um, you know, regardless of race or wealth. Yeah, that's a that's a conversation we need to flesh out quite a bit more, uh, I think, and get get some. I've had uh, Brian Patterson. I don't know if you know him, but he he's the guy behind. Uh, I think it's the guy behind one of the guys behind Urban Squash, that whole thing in in New York City, and uh, uh, he'd be in, uh, the the kind of guy who you might be interested in, in talking to uh, with regard to that, because he he sort of uh, started the whole thing there. So, yeah, definitely. Um, anything to 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 make change and, and make the sport more accessible. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, Lisa, you've been great with your time, but before you go, I, I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't mention uh, Reneem El-Wilili. Uh, she retired and, and it took every, I think, just about everybody who didn't really know her very, you know, in, intimately uh, by surprise. And uh, you mentioned that... Um, I think uh, she she's the the most important part of the game for you. Some, something along those lines, and uh, obviously she had a tremendous impact on you and, and on just about not only the women, the female players, but the male players too. She's one of my favorite players to watch. I uh, love Amara Shabana and her for the very same reasons. Just the great grace personified and uh, just perfect squash all the time. So, just wondering. Uh, you know, what, what she meant to you over the years that, that you've spent with her on tour. And, uh, you know, obviously she's going to be missed, but uh, I'd like to hear what, what you think on, uh, on that. Yeah, she, she absolutely will be missed. And it is sad um, to, to not have her at events. She's still been coming to watch the events that have been in Egypt. So it doesn't really feel like she's gone yet, which is nice. You can still see her face and she's always smiling. She's always approachable. And that's just, you know, one of her many great characteristics. But growing up in the era of Raneem is just something that's so special. Like you said, she's the, she's the complete player, really. She had everything. She had the skills, the speed. She's the perfect kind of role model ambassador for the sport. And, you know, there's a lot to learn. Raneem was, you know, and still is and still always will be the, the go-to player for me in whatever it is that I'm trying to develop. How does Raneem do it? Um, what she's done for the sport and how she represented the sport is just absolutely incredible. So, yeah. She could do things with the ball. I mean, just incredible. Just, you know, the way she hit the ball, she could, she could hit any shot. Uh, moved so well. Um, it was just a just always amazing uh, to watch her play yeah absolutely she did everything like like i said she's the role model if you ever want to better any area or, or any shot then watch how she does it and you're mm. going to learn a lot so yeah there's not th those types of players don't often come along and and when we when they do you know you really need to treasure them and i think the whole the whole squash world community has that was a bit of a blow where, you know, there's always going to be the archives, but we want to see it in real time. And 
who knows you don't you know she might she might come back on tour I'm not sure if that's gonna be something she pursues but she's certainly gonna she certainly has a lot of years left if that was something and she's she's incredible so so yeah yeah absolutely yeah she's gonna be missed uh and uh, yeah she was one you know it's always I'd always like to watch uh, Amr Shabana before I play a league match just to sort of make sure I play smart and play, you know, not be afraid to go for my shots as well. But also uh, she played, they, they were almost identical in terms of the way uh, they played and their temperament the temperament was fantastic and uh, great personalities on, on and off the court. But uh, really, uh, Lisa, uh, First of all, again, congratulations on, on the, the squash TV uh, stuff. That was fantastic. And uh, keep up the the great squash because you started out this season, which uh, has uh, started and you've got another event hopefully uh, coming up in a little while. I hope you get into the into the draw there and uh, keep up the good squash with that. And it was a pleasure uh, speaking with you. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been great. Well, that was great. Lisa Aiken, uh, really enjoyed that. She's, uh, she's overcome quite a bit over the last few years, and now she's reached a point where I think she's ready to make a good push to reach uh, her potential, reach the top of the game, and she's made inroads already. So, And also, she's on the, the Squash TV, one of the commentators. She did a fantastic job there at the Qatar Classic. So we want to wish Lisa all the best, and thanks a lot uh, uh, for agreeing to come on the podcast after I reached out uh, to her so thanks Lisa and good luck coming up in these next few events now also speaking of coming up on the podcast we have uh, already finished Ong Beng Hee a fantastic chat with Ong I've always wanted to talk to him uh, one of the greats back in his era world junior champion reached the top 10 in the world fantastic all around game and great guy and you'll see and hear that uh, on the pod in the next couple of days and then also Jesse Engelbrick uh, he has a new app this will be his third appearance if I'm not mistaken maybe fourth but uh, you know he just keeps on getting better and this one is uh, is an absolute uh, gem uh, we talk about the squash uh, squash mind his app that's out there right now if you've seen it already you can uh, understand why we're having him on because it's uh, there's a lot on there that's of great value to helping us uh, improve in our games and the mental game is such a big part of it and uh, he breaks it down and gives us uh, a fair number of tools to work with so we're going to be talking well it's already done I've spoken with him it's in the can as they say in the industry and uh, now uh, just have to do the edit and it'll be up in a in about a week or so so yeah we have that to uh, look forward to also uh, I'm looking forward to getting back on court this week played uh, a little sluggish last week I'm gonna have to address that maybe I took the foot off the gas I'm not sure but uh, this week I'm looking to uh, step my game up a little bit more and uh, play with a bit more intensity a bit more vibrancy uh, out there on court I hope you guys uh, are doing what you can if you can't get out on court uh, doing some visualization maybe uh, sort of like the queen gambit uh, visualize that game and what you're doing out there uh, or if you're on court uh, all the best to you with that please uh, appreciate everybody who gives a shout out please uh, send a like send a tweet share the podcast uh, you know you can doubt you can uh, donate to the podcast as well on SoundCloud app there's I think there's a PayPal donation there we're doing this for free so uh, if you want to throw a few coins in the hat please feel free to do so uh, everyone take care All the best with your squash. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye now.